Chapter Nineteen of the Pioneers by Catherine Susanna Pritchard. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Kirsty. It was not every day there was dancing at Mrs. Mary Ann's, only on Fridays after the cattle sales. And it was not every Friday that Pat Glynn could be got for the music. He wandered all over the country, putting the devil into folks' heels. He was in the port one day, in Wirreford the next, then on to Rain, or off wandering somewhere over the ranges. Whenever word went round that Pat was coming, the couples gathered from every direction. Whether they danced on a wooden floor or on the grass was a matter of little importance. There was always a merry time when Pat Glynn put up anywhere for the night. He came trotting into Wirreford on the day of the early November sales, about two years after Deirdre and the schoolmaster had left the hills. The township was full of dust, cattle and dogs. Boys yelling, drafting and beating beasts from one yard to another. Men watching them. Drovers, lean, sun-dried, hawk-eyed men, cattle buyers, cattle owners and auctioneers. Horses were hanging on loose reins about the sale yards, or in rows with drooping heads along the hitching posts at the Black Bull and Mrs. Hegarty's. Two or three heavy family carry-alls were drawn up before the store, where the women, with children about them, were shopping, buying lengths of calico, dress stuffs or groceries and ironmongery, to take home to the hills. Word that Pat Glynn was at Hegarty's went round like wildfire. So at Mrs. Mary Ann's it was that all the miscellaneous crowd of the sale-yards foregathered. They danced until the blood boiled under weather-beaten leathern faces and the rising sweat left furrows in the dust of the road on them. Matted, lank, sun-bleached hair lay in wet streaky locks on foreheads marked with the line of hats that almost grew on them, the line beyond which the sunburn never travelled. Men, women, boys and girls of all ages, children, grandfathers and grandmothers, Pat danced them all to a state of breathless exhaustion. As he tucked his fiddle under his chin and raked it with his long bow, his eyes gleamed with mischief and merriment. His arm went backwards and forwards so dexterously, with such agility, that the gay airs he played possessed him as well as everyone who heard them. Old men and women left their benches by the wall and skipped and trundled until the pine floor shook. The only people who were not dancing were a young mother with a baby in her arms and a teamster too drunk to do more than hang by the doorpost. He attempted a few wild and hilarious movements, fell headlong and was dragged feet foremost to the door and thrown out because he cumbered the floor. The young mother joggled her baby and sang softly in tune to Pat's music enfolding the assembled company and Pat himself in her beaming smile. It was incense to Pat's soul to see everybody within earshot moving. The clatter, rhythmic lift, shuffle and thump of heavily shod feet was as good to his ears as any of the old airs he played. His arm flying quicker and quicker sent old and young along with the strain of his music like corks on a stream. Heads bobbed, feet stamped busily. A catch of laughter flew out. The elderly, stout mother of a family called breathlessly, "'Stop it, Pat! Stop it, you villain!' But Pat only laughed and his fiddle-arm flew faster till the dancers dropped exhausted against the wall or hung there gasping with a stitch in their sides. When he had tired them all out, he lifted his bow with a flourish and a shout of laughter. The two that kept the floor longer than most others were Jess, Ross's Jess, as she was called, and young Davy Cameron. They were reckoned a fine pair of dancers. Pat had great pride in them. When everybody else had left the floor, he made the pace faster and faster for them, till they whirled to a finish, 
watched and cheered by the crowd against the walls. Off-scourings and derelicts of the weary, whom Mrs. Hegarty would not have to dance in her parlour, had to amuse themselves by looking in the doorway, or by jigging as best they might out of doors under the star-strewn sky. It was that night of the November sales, when Pat was at Hegarty's, that the schoolmaster and Deidre came back to the weary. They put up at the Black Bull, and it was not until the dance was in full swing that they appeared in Mrs. Hegarty's doorway. Pat was speeding up a reel, his eyes kindling. "'Faith, it's a drop of the craver you want to waken you up, Mick Gross,' he called. Catching up the air of his tune, he sang gaily, and the company joined in breathlessly at the top of its lungs. He broke from the song into expostulation and explanation. "'There's the darling boy, Buddy Morrison,' he cried, tears of laughter running down his withered cheeks. "'But he'll break Morrison's daughter's back for her. Let you be gentle with the girl, Buddy. It's a young lady, sir, not a heifer you have by the horns.' It was when Davy and Jess were having their last fling against Pat's music, and he scraping for all he was worth to beat them in their whirling and turning, that Jess saw a tall, dark-eyed girl watching them on the outskirts of the people who had just stopped dancing. She knew at once, her dark eyes, white skin, the black hair that swept from her face. It was Deidre. Deidre grown very tall and lithe and straight-backed. Deidre in a dark dress with a necklace of red beads about her neck and a blue ribbon round her waist. Jess knew what the look in her eyes meant as she watched the dancing. She knew, and her heart exulted. Deidre would see that Davy and she had become great friends while she was away. He had not seen the girl in the doorway. He flung Jess backwards and forwards, flushed and excited, spurred on by the music and the test of keeping step, losing no movement of hers to be even with Pat when he drew his last chords. Jess flew with him. Davy saw no more of her than her sonsy face, surrounded with the fair wisps of curls. Her grey eyes came to him, and her lips parted and smiled as her arms went out to him. She stumbled and fell breathlessly at the last. He had to hold her to prevent her falling. When up at the far end of the room he recovered his breath, his eyes were shining. His laughter rang out, a gay challenge in it. "'How's that for a finished, Pat?' "'Oh, you're a devil, Davy,' the old man cried, mopping his forehead. Jess had put herself before Davy and his view of the door, but he had moved to call to the fiddler. He saw the group there and stood staring for a moment. The colour ebbed from his face. He recognised the schoolmaster though he wore a shade over one eye now. But it was the sight of the dark head, the turn of a girl's shoulder and back near him, that was a shock to Davy. The great moment had come. Deirdre had returned. She stood with her back to the room. Men and women gathered about her and the schoolmaster. Davy heard her voice ring out. The sound of it thrilled him and left him trembling. It seemed only yesterday that she had gone. And yet it was ages, three years. They had written once or twice at first, but somehow the letters had stopped. He had not heard from her for a long time. What could he do? What a lot there would be to tell her. He wanted to show her his new horse, a sturdy red bay that he had coveted on sight, and had induced his father to buy. Would he ever be able to go and speak to her, he wondered. His legs shook so. Would he be able to speak? His throat ached. Did she know that he... Davy, her sweetheart, was there against the wall, so full of love for her, that he could not move, that he could only gaze at her. If only she would come to him, 
if only the whole of mrs Marianne's room would fall away from them leave them just deirdre and he together he did not see jess did not realize that she was watching him with a pain in her eyes at the spellbound wonder and adoration of his it's deirdre she said as if for her the end of the world had come yes he breathed he could hear deirdre laughing and chattering with the men and girls who had been to school with her when she and the schoolmaster lived in the hills the schoolmaster had gone out of doors again but where he had been a long black-browed drover of maitland's connell fighting connell was standing leaning against the wall and smiling down at her beneath the inexplicable exhilaration the tingling thrilling joy which possessed davy a slow wrath surged at the way connell looked and smiled at deirdre and at the way she looked her eyes leaping up to his and smiled at connell but she was his his sweetheart and had promised to marry him davy told himself and the resurgent joy at seeing her flooded him aren't you going to dance davy jess asked anxiously when pat began to fiddle again no he said if you're not going to get up can i have this one with jess asked buddy morrison with restrained eagerness what davy asked his eyes on deirdre if you're not getting up can i have this one with jess repeated bud morrison his sun-scorched face and ruddy hair was responsible for his youthful appearance although he was older by a couple of years than davy he was jess's most humble adorer but his grief was that she would never look at him if davy was looking at her oh yes davy replied he watched jess and buddy morrison go out among the dancers his eyes flew back to where deirdre had been standing but she was dancing with connell a lightning tremor of surprise flickered through him he caught his breath that anybody but himself would dance with deirdre had not occurred to him he made up his mind that he would go to her after the dance what right had connell to dance with her he was caught in a cloud of troubled thought and dismay davy watched them dancing this tall slender girl with her hair knotted up on the nape of her neck and the long-limbed bearded man who had come to the sales for sam maitland he could dance he and deirdre were dancing as the people in wirreford had never seen folk dancing and connell's dark handsome face was turned down to the girls it was not the dance he was thinking of but her there was a gleam in his eyes as they covered her every movement was tender of her jess in a fury of impatience with her partner dragged him off the floor he was heavy and slow on his feet missed the time and muddled his steps in order not to disgrace her own dancing she had to fall back against the wall when deirdre came away from the dancers with her tall partner davy went round to where they were standing once only he had seen her flash a swift glance round the room then her eyes had not rested on him at all but skimmed past him like swallows in flight he thought that she had not recognized him now that he stood near her his heart throbbed painfully she laughed and chatted with the people about her davy caught a word or two of her greetings to old schoolfellows connell bent over her appropriatingly deirdre flashed a smile at him as she talked davy stood on the edge of the crowd a little hurt feeling began to grow in him would he never catch her eye would she never look his way pat was calling for another dance the little crowd shifted and drifted away from deirdre mick ross had the temerity to ask her if she would dance with him 
Davy heard him, and he heard Long Connell draw lazily in reply. The man that dances with Deirdre will have to reckon with me tonight. Well, I'm not wanting to reckon with you, Connell, Mick replied, laughing, and withdrew to find another partner. Davy's eyes sparkled. He walked up to where Deirdre stood in the doorway with the drover. Will you dance with me, Deirdre? he said. Why, she exclaimed blithely, much as he had heard her exclaim to a dozen others, it's Davy Cameron grown up. I'd never have known you, Davy, but for the scar on your neck where the calf kicked you. Do you remember the day we were taking him up to Steve's in the spring cart? Davy and I used to have great times at the school, she explained with a glance for Connell. This is Connell, you know, long Connell, Davy, fighting Connell, they call him, don't they? She went on with a little mischievous inflection in her voice. Yes, I know, said Davy. Will you dance with me, Deirdre? Few people south of the ranges did not know or had not heard of Fighting Connell, of Sally the yellow streak of a cattle dog, half dingo that he swore by, and of his three parts bred mare, Ginger. Ginger for pluck, Connell said, and that was why she got her name. Though he had his title to live up to, Connell was a prime favourite on the roads. It was rumoured that he had another name, but nobody ever bothered about it. Connell, Fighting Connell was a good enough name for any man to go by, it was reckoned. There was talk under the breath of cattle duffing sometimes when he was mentioned, but it was always under the breath, for Connell was a man with a fist that could punish any reflections on his character as thoroughly as the fist of a man had ever been known to. But he was a lightsome swaggerer, a reckless devil macaire, good-natured sort of bully. Then if you know, Connell said coolly, You'd better have gone home and to bed, young shaver, before having asked Deirdre to dance with you tonight. I don't like any interference with the partners I choose for myself. It was all said with a lazy good-natured air. Connell was sure of himself. He reviewed with faint amusement this youngster who made claims to privileges that he had reserved to himself for the evening. Will you dance with me, Deirdre? Davy asked again. His eyes blazed. He trembled with anger. Well, I'm... Connell straightened and swore amazedly. But Deirdre's hand caught his sleeve. We're missing all this dance, she said quickly, as she turned away on his arm, her eyes swung round to Davy. Go and find Jess, she said. You looked such a pretty couple dancing together when I came in. Her laughter and light-hearted little speech stupefied Davy. He forgot his anger, forgot Connell, forgot the roomful of dancers stampeding merrily. Forgot Pat Glynn and his music. He forgot everything, but that Deirdre was laughing at him. Her words tingled in his ears. He had heard her laughter. Deirdre, his sweetheart, was laughing at him. Deirdre, who had promised. He stumbled out of the room. End of chapter 19